This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Coming up in hour two, I'll talk to Andre Tornyi, the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, who just knocked off five, well, the most recent five Stanley Cup champions, Vegas Golden Knights, Tampa Bay Lightning, Colorado Avalanche, St. Louis Blues, and Washington Capitals last night. What's the secrets, Andre? What's the secrets? Uh, we'll talk to Bear about that coming up in hour two. In the meantime, you know, when I think bow ties in the NHL, I think Bill Torrey. But I should probably amend that. I should add also one name, and that is Daryl Evans, the uh, longtime analyst for the Los Angeles Kings on radio, former King himself, who joins me now. Man, are you just trying to make me look bad, Daryl? Because I thought I was wearing, you know, a decent little golf shirt and a, and a, and a, and a jacket here and got my feathers combed. But nothing is, nothing is competing with that style. If you're watching us on 360 right now, that is a gorgeous vest and a beautiful bow tie and I wish Daryl I was cool enough to pull off a bow tie but I'm not congratulations once again you are the fashion plate of the NHL how are you today I'm doing great you can pull off a bow tie bow tie you just got to believe you can you'll be amazed at what you can do but uh feel if you feel good in it you're gonna look good in it so uh don't be afraid to put one on I've worn them, you know. I've, I've put on the I put on the suit before. I put on tuxedos, and uh, I've I've tried the bow tie outside of wearing the the formal wear. And I'm honestly, Daryl, unlike you, I am just not cool enough. Uh, but pretty much anyone with the Los Angeles Kings right now is cool enough to pull that off. I don't care whether you're uh, Vladislav Gavrikov, and it's revenge night at nationwide as the Kings face off against uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, or you're Cam Talbot, or you're Anche Kopitar or you're whomever on this Kings team, this might be the best team, with all due respect to the New York Rangers, this this might be the best team in the NHL right now. When you hear that, what goes through your mind, Daryl? Yeah, I mean, it's nice to hear that, and it it means a lot that uh, everybody's starting to recognize how good this hockey club is. You know, having been around the team, uh, you know, daily for so many years and through the highs and the lows, you know, the Stanley Cups and not making the playoffs, uh, this is a really good, uh, you know, hockey club. They're well put together. Uh, credit to management, ownership for the commitment that they've mm-hmm. made. The players gone out to acquire the last few years, and they're a hardworking team, uh, you know. But again, this is only a quarter way into the season. There's a long way to go, and you know, with the attention sure. that they're drawn now, they're getting everybody's best game each and every night. So a lot of work to yet to be done. And uh, the real story will be told uh, when the success comes in the postseason. Uh, you know, that's what they're, they're gearing up towards. But uh, they've got a great attitude. And, uh, you know, it's just really nice being around this team right now. Uh, some great players, some great performances up and down the lineup. I, I was joking before he came on that, you know, really I'm going to bring Daryl aboard. And there's only really one question, and that is, Daryl, are things great or really great with the Los Angeles Kings right now? That's about the extent of my uh, journalistic uh, sort of uh, you know uh, interrogation of you. But let's let's drill down here on a couple of different players. And you know, I talked a lot yesterday about Quinton Byfield, and you know, I works a lot with Barb Underhill, and the skating is 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 wonderful now. He doesn't seem like you saw him when he first joined the Los Angeles Kings. It looks as if he's he's no longer hunched over as, as much as he was before. Like I saw him locally here playing minor hockey. Um, with the York Simcoe Express and the OMHA, and he was, you know, bigger and stronger than everybody else. Like he, he, I'll be honest with you, he looked like Eric Lindros playing minor slash youth yep. hockey. That's how he played in, in minor hockey. Guys would be bouncing off him, great hands, as we all know. But we always wondered about, you know, leaning over too much, and he seems as if he's more upright now. What have you noticed in the sort of evolution of Quinton Byfield? Yeah, he's really matured both on and off the ice. Uh, just a, he exudes so much confidence right now. And I think that's the biggest thing is uh, he's having fun playing the game. There was a lot of pressure coming in, uh, you know, to the NHL being the number two pick. Expectations are high. And then you see the success that Stutzla had yeah. right off at, you know, they, they kind of use that, uh, you know, against Byfield that, you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, ready, wasn't as good a player, maybe not, might not even be as good a player, but a credit to the Kings, uh, you know, ownership management, uh, coaching staff. They've been very patient with this young man. And because of that, they're starting to see the results that they hoped they would see uh, in, in the growth of his game. You know, he just turned 21 years of age at the end of the summer. So he's still continually growing yeah. a little like 225 pounds. But I think you're right with regards to the the uh, positioning, his posture when he's skating. He's not hunched up as more uh, over as more. Uh, he's he's uh, standing a lot taller, and now he's utilizing the big mm-hmm. muscles. Uh, you know, down below the waist is you know his, his glutes and his thighs. He's winning a lot of battles because of that. 
Uh, in the first year, you know, he lost a lot of battles, ended up falling on the ice. But now he's got that much more strength. But the thing that drives the strength is the is the confidence. Uh, he's playing with two great players, two world-class players, and Andrzej Kopitar and Adrian Kempe. And they've done a great job at embracing this young man. And uh, they, they've liked playing with him right from day one. I think they sensed and uh, recognized the, you know, the potential that he had. And they've been great tutors for him. Uh, they've helped him on both on and off mm-hmm. the ice. All playing together are just uh, having a great year, and uh, one of the reasons why the Kings sit where they do in the standings. You know, we talk a lot about that Dallas first line, and you know, rightfully so. Rupe Hens and Joe Pavelski and and Jason Robertson, like it's 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 an elite line, and you can make the argument, I think, rightfully so, that it might be the best line in the NHL. I'll tell you, this Kopitar, Kempe, and, and Byfield line has really given them a run for their money. Like, every time that I watch the Los Angeles Kings, this line, you know, most recently against the Avalanche on Sunday in that third period, you know, this line is tearing other teams apart. Why does this work so well? Why does this Kopitar, Kempe, Byfield line work so well, Daryl? Well, the three of them are on the same page. They're all committed to playing a 200-foot game. We've seen the evolution of Adrian Kempe over the last few years. A great skater when he came into the NHL. You know, he'd show spurts that he was he was taken off. But uh, the common denominator is Kopitar in the middle. Uh, they're playing with one of the best two-way players in the game, a 200-foot player. Kopitar does not cheat the game in any way. Uh, easily could put up statistics mm-hmm. a lot they're at right now in his career over 400 goals just set the franchise mark by passing Marcel Dion with 758 career assists uh so I mean I think Kopitar again is the one that pushes it with these with these other guys and uh, each one of them brings a little something different to the table but the size the hockey IQ and the strength that they have very rare do you see that on three guys in a line and you're right uh, they're as good as any line that is out there right not have the numbers offensively but i think when you look at responsible numbers plus minus the critical situations that they play in the game they're always up against the opposition's top line and uh their, their minutes are actually down from from todd mcclellan with the addition of dubois now is using you know four lines night in and night out and uh you know those guys are still finding a way to play at a high level even kopitar at his age over 1300 games in the nhl he shows no signs of uh of letting up he's actually scoring goals at the same pace in the first uh, six years of his career as he has the last six years. So uh, there's a lot, a lot of good mm-hmm. hockey left in that line. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned Todd McClellan and how they roll the lines. I mean, you're right. No one's getting into 20 minutes uh, with the forwards and no one's in single digits uh, either. It really is uh, it really is a, a team forward attack. Let me ask you about Kopitar. And, and you're the right person because, you know, you've been shotgun for all of it. Where do you put him? You know, he just, as you mentioned, he just passed Marcel Dion, all-time assist leader with the Los Angeles Kings. You know, Dion's in a certain category amongst, you know, uh, the Los Angeles Kings, as is Wayne Gretzky. And that's, we've talked about the effects of, of Gretzky in, in the NHL uh, and all the teams that we see in the NHL, mainly because Wayne Gretzky went to Los Angeles. Um, but where do you put Kopitar, like in and amongst those two Los Angeles Kings greats? And could you make the arguments that he might be the best Los Angeles King ever? Yeah, I think it's a good argument, uh, you know, and no disrespect to the other two guys. We all know how great they are, uh, both Hall of Famers and Kopitar will one day march into the Hall of Fame as well. Uh, again, yep. three completely different players uh, all together. You know, we know what Wayne Gretzky did. Uh, he saw the game at a level that, you know, very few players have seen that game the way, you know, Wayne Gretzky played it. Uh, Marcel Dion was, you know, he was just such a bull of a player with such great skill, uh, you know, member of the, uh, you know, famous triple crown line. But Kopitar's combination yeah. of thing, uh, you know, the commitment, uh, you know, to, to uh, playing that 200-foot game, you know, again, being around him each and every day, watch him in practice. He's out there every day of a game, pregame skate. He just, he loves playing the game. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's always team first. Uh, you know, everybody likes to score and put points up. But here's a guy that's raised the Stanley Cup two times, Selkie Trophy winner, uh, responsible in the face-off circle. And he's your go-to guy from the coaching staff that who you want out there in every critical situation. So I think the respect that he has from his, his teammates, his peers, and the other, you know, the opposition that he plays against, I think he'll tell you that, you know, he's probably 
going to be regarded as uh, you know as one of the greatest players, not only on the Kings, but in, in the NHL as a complete 200-foot player. And that's why he's got the Parasolki trophies. Great point by you. Um, l- let me finish up by talking about the defense, and let me finish up by talking about one pair. And this pair has been good for for a while now. And as I mentioned with the forwards, you've been there to document all of it. Mikey Anderson and Drew Doughty. Um, if people in the East don't get a chance to, or don't or choose to stay up late to watch Los Angeles Kings game, shame on them uh, because they're missing one of the great pairs in the NHL, and that is Doughty and Anderson. What makes this combo work? Well, starting, you know, when, when Mikey Anderson came on board, a lot of people recognized in the organization that, you know, here's going to be a player that one day may let it, wear a letter with the Kings. Uh, and very responsible, mature beyond his years, both on and off the ice when he joined the Kings. And when he paired up with Drew Doughty, you know, everybody's probably not a pair that you would think would have success. But Doughty's been a great mentor for him. Uh, Drew loves to talk on the ice. And that communication has really allowed Mikey Anderson's game to grow. Uh, Kings rewarded him with a, you know, a big extension in his contract, an eight-year extension. And I think from there... The confidence in Mikey continues to soar. I'm now down doing the uh, you know the uh, ice uh, ice side uh, report, and I can see the two of them communicating out there. And at one time in the early part of Mikey Anderson's career, it was always Drew Doughty that was bark, you know barking the orders and that. And now it's Mikey that's kind of he's taking the initiative out there. He's he's learned so much from mm-hmm. Drew, and Drew's Norris Trophy winner again, Stanley Cup champion, and all that. And you know he's he loves to play the game. He's got so many years ahead of him. Uh, so Mikey's got himself. He latched onto a, a guy that he can learn a lot about in the game uh, and uh, and yet still pay attention to his own game. Two completely different styles, but I think now we're starting to see those yeah. two styles. Together. And uh, you can put them out there in every situation against the opposition's top players, and you don't have to worry about them. They both take so much pride in the defensive part of the game. The offense is nice. We start to see a little bit of that coming out of Mikey's game. Uh, Drew is scoring at a greater pace, and a lot of that has to do with the training they did in the offseason, skating with younger players, and uh, he, he he understands it. You know, he's got to evolve. Things things have to change a little bit, and a credit to those two, the work that they put in together uh, and the relationship that they have allows them to succeed on the ice. Absolutely. Uh, listen, uh, big game tonight. Los Angeles Kings kicking off a four-game road trip here against the Columbus Blue Jackets at Nationwide. Uh, eyes on Gavrikov uh, on this one, as you well know, Daryl. Thanks for thanks for getting dressed up for the hit. Uh, I'm gonna, even though it's, it may not or may not be true, I'm gonna treat it as if it is. Uh, I appreciate the respect for the program, Daryl. Thanks as always. You're a class act and a, and a great analyst. Thanks so much for being aboard. All right, guys, keep up the great work, and look forward to catching up with you a little later in the year. Daryl Evans is the uh, analyst for the Los Angeles Kings. Tonight they'll face off against the Columbus Blue Jackets at Nationwide Arena. Now, it's going to be, I shouldn't say tough, because, listen, you're professionals and you play all your games, and, okay, who do we have tomorrow? I'm not so sure that teams look as much ahead as people like me tend to. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but are we going to see a Stanley Cup preview on Sunday as the Los Angeles Kings face off against the New York Rangers? Maybe the two best teams in the NHL here at the quarter mark of the season. We shall see. All right, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. With that, we bring on low-rent George Peros. <laughs> and, Matt Marchese. Uh, sorry I didn't get dressed up like Daryl Evans. Kind of uh, <laughs> kind Darryl, of set the bar high, didn't he? <laughs> He's um, got the vest. He's got the bow tie. He's got the white shirt. Holy smokes! Yeah, I didn't even comb my hair. Pretty good. Um, uh, to no surprise, uh, we will be looking at the Devils in Vancouver against the Canucks tonight. The Hughes Bowl, as we will call it. Uh, the puck line is Canucks minus yeah. one and a half. The Devils are nine and one in their last ten against the Canucks. The over is four and zero oh in the last four matchups overall. And Vancouver and New Jersey are tied with the most games where they've hit the over on the team total in the entire NHL. The only team ahead of them is the Detroit Red Wings. Here's the question. Well, there's a couple of questions here. So, one, how much money is on the board both sides? The thing you need to know about the Hughes family is they compete hard against each other, whether it's hockey, whether it's tennis, whether it's a goofy game at the house that they all share in, in Michigan in the offseason. 
this team, th- this family competes against each other hard. Like one of the things that Elliot and I do every year at the uh, the NHL uh, media tour in North America is we always sit down with Jack Hughes. Great interview. Usually sit down with Quinn as well. I would imagine Luke's on the horizon now too. And the conversation initially always revolves around Maddie. Okay, who won at pool? <laughs> who won at golf? Who won at tennis? Who won at horse? Who won at whatever? Like, this is how these guys are wired. This family is wired to compete against each other. The other question is, do we see all three of them in the starting lineup? I would imagine yes. And I don't know who's refereeing tonight, but can you kick out the Vancouver Center and bring in Quinn Hughes to take the opening draw against Jack Hughes? Not unlike we saw Wes McCauley do with the Kachucks. Matthew and Brady so many years ago would be a real nice touch. Uh, that was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Uh, we are not going to be joined by Brian Boucher in a couple of moments here. He's had to take care of something. We're going to be joined by Matt Marchese in a couple of moments. Andre Tournier also still to come. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Did I say Boucher? I did too, right? Brian Boyle won't join us here. He has uh, had to step away. So we'll uh, we'll get Brian Boyle on the program here uh, coming up the next few days uh, with a tour around the NHL, former NHL player, NHL network analyst. So looking forward to catching up with him uh, as soon as possible or somewhere down the road. Uh, Andre Tournier coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, if you don't know, he's getting himself in the conversation for the coach of the year. Uh, head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, a team that's made a lot of noise recently by Matt Marchese knocking off the last five Stanley Cup champions. Not exactly in order, but still knocking them all down and capped it off with a 6 nothing win last night. Like that, I don't know if you watched the game last night, Matty, did you? The cap, uh, I caught a, in the Coyotes. I caught a little bit of it, and and then when I wasn't, I'm like, okay, it's you know, it's one nothing here, it's two nothing, and then you're like, oh boy, it's five nothing after the first period. Well, that one is over. Don't yeah. need to pay attention too much there. It was really a question of how many more were they going to score after the first period, and they took the foot off the gas pedal and only scored one. Yeah, Bukestad with a goal in the second period, and then that was it. And Connor Ingram was outstanding again uh, for the Arizona Coyotes. First start of the week around the NHL, and here we are. Everyone's talking about Arizona. And we'll talk to Andre Tournier coming up at the bottom of the hour, head coach of the Yotes, who really, you know, uh, around junior hockey circles, and I know he was an assistant coach in Colorado with Patrick Waugh, um, but around junior hockey circles, he's he's kind of legendary whether it's in Halifax, whether it's in Rouen-Noranda, whether it's in Ottawa with the 67s along with James Boyd. Like, he, like he, the, the, the teams that he has, the teams that he had, rather, in junior hockey were, well, I mean, all, admittedly, they were powerhouses, but he was also a great teacher. Like, everybody came away. I remember um, watching one of their uh, practices and coming away just sort of like shaking my head like I've, I've never seen that before even just like simple things like teaching kids how to how to take away when a defender goes stick on puck with you and chopping the hands like i had, I had never seen this before and actually you know what you know what? i had the conversation with jason york about it um because yorkie lives uh in and around ottawa and would go to a lot of ottawa 67s games and he would text me he's like you'll have you won't believe what bear has these guys doing now <laughs> and that ottawa 67s team was like a juggernaut squad unfortunately we never got them to, we never got a chance to see them in the playoffs because of covid and uh the ohl the j ross robertson cup ohl championship uh was canceled but he's like he's an he was an elite thinker and an elite coach in junior hockey always interesting to watch someone make that transition from junior behind the bench to behind the bench in the nhl and sort of what sort of challenges you have along the way so we'll talk to tournier about that coming up but what a job he's done with arizona like listen bill davids uh, bill uh, armstrong's done a great job populating this team uh, and i think we looked at arizona at the beginning of the season maddie you and i and, and said 
You know, don't write off the Arizona Coyotes. Like, they're not going to win the Stanley Cup. They're not going to win the conference championship. But they're not going to be as bad as everyone says they are. Like, they're not going to be San Jose bad. They're not going to be Macklin, Celebrini, Cole Iserman bad. You know, they might be okay. And there's a chance that they might make the playoffs. What do you think of the Coyotes right now? I like them a lot. And the one thing that we said last year about the Arizona Coyotes, which led me to believe that they were going to be better, was they were in a lot of games. For a team that was supposed to be so bad last year, they played hard and played hard under Andre Tourigny. And and that wasn't going to change. The thing that was going to change was they were going to add some young skill to this roster. And we talk about... You know, the the Logan Cooleys of the world and Sean Dursey, who, you know, he got run over yesterday by Tom Wilson, and hopefully he's back oh soon. Um, but they're doing this, and one of their top prospects isn't even playing for them, and he played for them a bit last year, and that's Dylan Gunther, who's in Tucson playing for the Roadrunners yeah. and having a really, you know, good year in the AHL there. So they're, they're still coming there in Arizona. So it's a really interesting team. They're getting really good goaltending, as we mentioned, with Connor Ingram. But it's it's a group that I looked at last year and say, like, they certainly won't be worse, and they were only going to get better. Um, I kind of thought they would be in and around the wild card spot by the time the, the year was done, and I feel like at this point that's where they're going to finish. You know, don't forget, too, about last year with the Coyotes. Um, a lot of it was done because of some great net mining from Corral Vimelka. Mm-hmm. Right, like I remember that was the uh, the nights where they'd have glorious evenings. It would be like, okay, they gave up forty shots, but Vimelka stopped thirty eight. Or they'd give up, you know, like uh, forty two shots and Vimelka stopped forty one. Like that's kind of what it was. Uh, but you're right, and it's it's not just the kids for the Coyotes either. Like there's certainly there's Logan Cooley, and that leads it. And I think J.J. Mosier uh, has taken a huge step in his career as well. But again, stop me if you've heard this before, whether it's Los Angeles or Detroit, uh, of recent note, it's surrounding kids with veteran players. Like Jason Zucker scores last night. He's looked really good. Alex Kerfoot has looked really good with this team. Like Matt Dumba comes in. Uh, because Minnesota had no cap space for them. Like, it, it's not as if they've just gone youth. Like, again, they're really careful about how they spend money and who they spend money on. And is Clayton Keller on the huge ticket? Yes, but he's the best player on the team. Um, but they've really gone out of their way to make sure that all these kids are insulated with some really good veteran guys. I don't know. Where, where does this all head for the remainder of the season? I don't know. We're just past the quarter mark of the year. But... You know, are we going to look at, you know, and how interesting would this be? It's, you know, version one versus version two. If we see the dog fight for third in the central come down to a fight between the Arizona Coyotes and the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> Winnipeg Jets 1.0 versus Winnipeg Jets 2.0. It's very, it's a very interesting day. And Winnipeg is, you know, they got a, a big game from Laurent Brossois last night. Um, it was really good. It was great. Um do you want to do uh, you want to do this Connor Ingram clip since we're on the Coyotes because this is sure Jeff this is right up your alley because we like to talk about um, kind of weird things on this show and uh, I mean we've yeah. gone in different directions but this is uh, this is Connor Ingram on his pregame superstitions. Do you have okay. any sort of pregame ritual or routine because like something has to be working right now? Where's Jimmy? Uh, I talk to Jimmy every time I get to the rink because I listen to Dateline on the rink, on the way here. So they're about 40 minutes, and that's what my drive takes. So uh, my buddies make fun of me for it, but that's what I do. And then if it's a good one, I, I go over it with Jimmy to to, to kind of dissect it a little bit. It's it's a podcast. If you listen to it, I, I don't know. So, there's a lot of in my life. <laughs> So Jimmy, so we, so the guy, the guy is behind the glass. And uh, so David Sis and um, producer extraordinaire, Daniele Franceschi, uh, they were talking about this because they were trying to figure out who the heck Jimmy was. So there's only one person who is listed in the entire organization with Jim as the name. And that is team services and security head, Jim O'Neill. So we figured out, or at least we think we figured out that Jim O'Neill is who um, Connor Ingram reports to after listening to Dateline on the way to the rink every day. It's one of the weirder ones. I don't know how Dateline would calm you or whatever because we know goalies get a little squirrely. Um, but they're weird, so maybe yeah. that's why. 
You sure it's not uh, J.J. Mosier? Maybe, but I didn't. I don't know. It didn't. Like, I'm just throwing it he out said, there. He said my friends made my friends make fun of me, so I have a feeling that it wouldn't be one of the teammates that he would be reporting to. <laughs> but that's okay, a good here's, one. Here's something for you then. What? That that is good. Uh, I don't know that in listening to, uh, to to news podcasts will get you <laughs> fired up, uh, news and documentary podcasts. But uh, what what are the last podcasts that you've listened to? Oh. Let me grab mine here. Uh, so I know mine I've off by heart. Last, you do? Yeah. They're... So I listen to Peter Mansbridge's podcast every day. The Bridge. I don't miss that one. Uh, there's another one that I that I listen to now called Warfare. Um, which is all about uh, both World War One and World War Two. I know, shocking. Um, what else we got here? Dan Carlin's Hardcore History. I listen when I walk my dog every morning to Olbermann's Countdown. What do you got? Well, mine are none like that. I'll tell you that. So I'm going to sound very unintelligent compared to you, Jeff. Football, fa- <laughs> fantasy football. No, no fantasy football. Podcast? No, Jeff. No sports. There are no sports podcasts. It is. Um, two bears, one cave with Tom Segura and Burt Kreischer because they're hilarious. Oh, jeez, Kreischer's um, so funny. Yeah, oh, um, God, and he's the guy who laughs at his own jokes all the time, which I can appreciate. Um, also, yes. uh, Bad Friends with Andrew Santino and Bobby Lee, uh, the Joe Rogan experience. Um, what else do I have on there? And then Your Mom's House with Tom Segura and his wife, uh, Christina P. So a lot of comedians, and that's pretty much it because I like – there's too much – nastiness in the world i just like to laugh that it makes the drive in um from my humble abode a, a lot easier so yes a lot of laughing hmm all right uh very good um okay so elsewhere around the nh oh by the way um when it comes to clips did you uh did you uh what did you make of vasilevsky post game yesterday i don't want to like dwell on it like a like a 12 year old <laughs> it's right the, up uh, my alley <laughs> We can play the, love we have it. it. I, I, we I, have the clip if we want to play it for people that haven't heard it. Okay, go for it. Why, why not? <laughs> Just so people Rising know what we're talking depth, about. Sinking to new heights. <laughs> okay, it's Andre Vasilevsky post game yesterday. What's going through your mind in the last 48 hours from the end of the game on Saturday to the start of this one? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously it wasn't great feeling uh, last game, but. Um, Uh, what was the question? <laughs> That's great. Didn't Someone call. Steps didn't on a duck. Mid, mid, mid answer. <laughs> he didn't. He certainly didn't call them out, which I think is probably a very respectful thing to do because it does happen. Um, yeah. But oh, yeah. I mean, listen, uh, you got to have a sense of humor. To, I, we're just so serious about so many things. It's like that's w- literally one of the funniest things that can happen in your vicinity. As long as it's not you that it happens to, it's pretty funny. Yeah. You know what I like <laughs> about it? Here's what I like about it. We are so serious about sports. Yeah. I've been guilty about this too. I've, I'm, not, sure. I'm not excluding myself. We get so serious and I always catch myself and I always say to myself, like, Jeff, like, do you get this? Like, do you get like this angry when you vote? <laughs> like, do you get like this upset or this obsessed? Not enough people about, get angry like, when, when they vote. When you go to 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 decide, like, you know, who's going to be in charge of your life for the next four years? Like, do you get this upset or this this angry when you vote? It's like at the end of the day, everybody, it's sports. But if now, it's Jeff, sports, relax, okay to laugh. Now, Jeff, if if Andre yeah. Vasilevsky was on the opposite end of a four nothing win last night, we might be having a different conversation today. <laughs> like Andre Vasilevsky is yeah, probably maybe. not reacting the same way if they lost four nothing and they let in two stinkers. Four nothing shutout kind of eases well, the like, pain what? for a lot of things. When Tampa got shelled on the weekend, yeah, that's a good point too. Like it's game number one thousand for Victor Hedman. It's a four nothing shutout against the Dallas Stars. Everybody smiles. Vasilevsky's back, and someone just drops one. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that was Tampa story yesterday. So, so speaking of that's, uh, that's interesting. So speaking of Hedman, when we when we look back at Victor yeah. Hedman's career, Jeff, in this era of let's say yep. the last fifteen years, he's. No. He, where would you put him? Like it's a really it's a really tough conversation because there's a lot of guys in there. Um, but he's been maintaining a really high level of play basically from what year two yep. or year three 
of his career. You can maybe, I mean, his rookie year was tough, but that's a real big adjustment for him. Like, where would you have him in yeah. the last 15 years? One of the best. One like, of the top best. three. Like, here, here's someone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, for, for sure, top five. Um, and he's going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. That's an sure. obvious statement here. Uh, yeah. one, of the be- one of the best defensemen to ever play the game. You know, growing up, the comparisons to, uh, to Victor Hedman were Nick Lidstrom. Like, okay, Sweden's got another one here. Mm-hmm. And then in a lower key, I remember Rasmus Dahlin in Sweden, you know, he kept saying, oh, no, this this, this guy is going to be the next L- Nick Lidstrom or a different version of, of Nicholas Lidstrom. But Victor Hedman, when he was a kid in Sweden, like all the reports and all the stories were, wait till this guy gets to the NHL. He is, you know, low-key Victor Hedman, or some would say he might, he has a chance to be as good as, or sorry, Nick Lidstrom, uh, as good as or maybe even better than Nick Lidstrom. Like, one of the things that I've always gone out of my way to, to, to mention, I don't know, and maybe Eric Carlson, because we think of the Mike Hoffman pass in that Ottawa-Boston series, but I don't know that I've ever seen a defenseman make as many long bomb accurate passes, like hard and tape to tape, like from behind his net to the far blue line, more so or better than Victor Hedman. Mm-hmm. Like he closes gap great. He's a great defender. He's big and strong. Um, uh, puts up points. He does a lot of things. But to me, the the one thing that I always marvel at is how he can find stick blades far away, like through traffic, through bodies. Like think of the skill, like the the, the main skill sets of Victor Hedman. For me, the one that really distinguishes him is his passing, and the way that he's able to make like 150 foot passes. Like, head up, zip, bam, it's right on the stick. And I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned, now you got me thinking about it. There was a game, uh, it was Ottawa-Tampa, it was in Ottawa. You mentioned Victor Hedman had the tough first season. I can recall a game, and it was, I think it might have been Victor Hedman's first time in Ottawa. And he's coming around behind the uh, behind the Tampa Nets with the puck, and Chris Neal just trucks him. Like freight train, smelling salts, wobbly, helped off the egg. It was a bad hit. I shouldn't say that. It was a good hit. It was a clean hit. But, man, did he catch Victor Hedman. And after the game, you know, there was no whining and complaining out of Victor Hedman. And this always, I always remember this because it was, like, so refreshing. He didn't complain about vulnerable position, took advantage of me, blah, blah. There was none of that. He said, yeah, that's a lesson for me. I got to keep my head up. I got to be more aware of my situation and my circumstance. And then after that, I don't know that I ever saw Victor Hedman get caught. Yeah. Like everybody gets bumped. Everybody gets hit. That's going to happen. But when you play a thousand games, you're going to get caught every now and then, right? When do you remember Victor Hedman getting caught? Not like that. Like that Chris Neal hit. Yeah. But nope. I, the, the, the only time I've him. seen him get... I love him. The only time I've seen him get hit really... It was last year, and I can't remember who hit him. But that's when his game started... To, he got hurt on the play and played through it. And, like, he left that game, but he was playing through injury. And I had this conversation with uh, Eric Erlinson. I want to say it was at the end of last year. And then, we, and then this year when I spoke to him, we kind of wrapped it up because we were talking about Victor Hedman. And when you look at the point total last year, 49 points, it's like, that's a very, that's a really good year for a lot of guys. And for Victor Hedman, that's an off year. And, you know, he was playing less on the first power play because you could tell that he was banged up. I I said it to, I said it to Eric, the best thing for, for Victor Hedman this year was not going on a deep playoff run, having that extended time to really take care of your body and really recover because there were a lot of people that looked at Victor Hedman and said, oh, boy, look at the play. It's starting to tail off, and, and is he going to be that same guy? And you could see that something was noticeably wrong with him despite playing 76 games last year, which is a testament to how tough this guy actually is as well. And this year, 25 points in 26 games, and he's playing on the top unit again more often, and he's he's putting up offensive numbers that we expect. Like, as much as, you know, we talk about Victor Hedman being such a – well, he's a – monster first of all and being so strong and defensively responsible he's one of the best offensive defensemen of his era as well and that's something i feel like it's weird to say but it kind of gets lost when we talk about victor hedman despite how great he is on that side of the ice too 
You know, two days before COVID shut down the NHL, Elliot and I sat down with Victor Hedman. I remember that. He was, it was in the studio in here. Town. Do you remember this? I remember it him. Was in He's the studio, a monster. right beside. <laughs> yeah, huge. And it's funny. He was the first person to give me the COVID elbow bump. You know, wouldn't shake hands because you know COVID's COVID's in the air. And uh, so I got my first COVID elbow bump from Hedman. And I remember how jarring it felt. Yeah. At the time, it's like, whoa, okay, I guess that I guess that's where we're at, and I understand it. Um, but in an interview that will never air, it was that interview right before COVID. Um, one of the things I asked him was about international hockey. And I said, who's the most satisfying oh, yeah, team yeah, to yeah. internationally? Yeah. And I, th- I thought, right, I thought right away he would say Finland. We know there's no love lost between the Swedes and the Finns. We get it. We understand. And he said, no, Canada. He said, there's nothing better than beating Canada internationally. That is the team you want to knock out of the blocks. I said, not Finland? He's like, uh, there's a pretty healthy rivalry there. But he said, nothing compares. Nothing compares to beating Canada internationally. Yeah. And I would have thought for sure he would have said Finns. Yeah. Sure. And do we have the um the post do we have the, the post game clip from him? I believe we do, yeah. Um I, the you want the whole I mean, it's two minutes, so we can play that. That's that's no problem. They're just uh just loading her up here. I want to say loading it up on the cart, but we know that we don't use carts anymore, Jeff. I just thought we'd uh take it a I little used vintage. Carts when I started at the I know, but, fan in ninety four. <laughs> but we don't use those anymore. Uh are we all set behind the glass? Right we got okay. reel to reel and reel to reel and chalk and razor blades and oh, tape, yeah. and that's how we're doing our editing now. Yeah, that sounds dangerous actually. Uh here here we go. Here's the Victor Hedman clip uh, post game. Time flies. Um, okay. super special and I, I told the guys uh I don't get emotional a lot when it comes to hockey, but that was uh, that was very special. You know, have Stammer do that, you know, presentation and reading my dad's letter before the game was super special. So, uh, and then having my whole family on the ice, um, you know, my brothers who, you know, even though it's tough sometimes being the youngest, uh, they always allowed me to, you know, play with them. And I was usually the goalie, but. Uh, you know, at the same time, I was, they always accepted me to, to, to play with them. And Johan is obviously eight years older than me. So, you know, just the upbringing that I had and, you know, parents that sacrificed whatever free time they had uh, just to drive us to, to different uh, sports and giving us an opportunity to chase our dreams. And like I said, to, you know, my wife who has been with me through, through everything, the ups and downs. And now my two boys, uh, you know, Ria and Vigo. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's breathtaking. It's just uh, super special and yeah, something you know, a guy from a small town in Sweden never thought it was possible. But uh, I guess to do something good where I'm from, and you know, I'm proud to to join the club of obviously Stemmer and Vini, but uh, also the City and Twins. And you know, I think those are only two from my hometown as place. A thousand, even though no Marcus too, obviously, but. Uh, uh, Peter never reached it, but, uh, you know, just being in that category means the world to me. All right, that's uh, Victor Hedman yesterday playing in game number 1,000 as the Tampa Bay Lightning beat the Dallas Stars by a final score of 4 to nothing. Uh, there were some questions about another Swedish defenseman this morning who left Buffalo practice, and that's Rasmus Dahlin. It is the Buffalo Sabres in action tonight against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Don Granato saying Rasmus Dahlin is fine. Uh, for the game tonight, even though he did leave practice um, early. Uh, a couple of things uh, on that one tonight. Tage Thompson returns mm-hmm. for the Buffalo Sabres. So, like, Tage Thompson emerges today. I'm like, oh, that's a great sign for the for the, for the, uh, for the Buffalo Sabres. Maybe, you know, playing Thursday against the Boston Bru- No, he's playing tonight for the Buffalo Sabres, who really need to start turning things around before this season completely slips away from them. Luka Pekka in his sec. Devin Levi call, gets called up from Rochester. Uh, Alex Tuck is out. Uh, seven to ten days. Hamstring injury there. Jordan Greenaway out. Upper body injury. I mean, this is not the way... Oh, and Jack Quinn's on the ice, but they're still eyeing, you know, ways away for him. Um, this is not the way it was supposed to go for the Buffalo Sabres, which really does underscore just how difficult it is to win in the NHL. You have a thought on this one, Sabres and, uh, and Red Wings tonight? Well, it's not like they come in... Not like Tage Thompson comes back to an easy matchup either. Like, the Red Wings... Uh 
can score with the best of them. And we thought the Sabres were going to be in that conversation as well. And some, you know, Dylan Cousins has talked about his struggles and how, you know, I'm paid to put a lot of money to put the puck in the net and I'm not doing that. And and for Tage Thompson, like, it really does feel like a game where it's like, well, not that you got to put the, the team on your back, but it feels like a game where Tage Thompson has to put the team on his back, coming back from injury. And you always... Remember when he first got hurt and Don Granado said he's going to miss significant time and we were all thinking it was going to be really long-term for him and coming back, I just wonder about maybe coming back a little early. That's my only concern here, especially yep. for the Sabres because you know you we've talked about it from the beginning of the season, the importance of winning early and and banking points and try and the Sabres have not been able to do that, partially because they hadn't been getting too many saves from their goaltenders early and they, you know, took Alex Tuck and, and Tage Thompson a while to start scoring, and then they both get hurt when they're starting to play a little bit better. Like, timing has certainly not been great for the Sabres, but again, not a not an easy matchup tonight against the uh, the Red Wings, who will start Alex Lyon tonight again. So another one of those goaltending stories, Jerry. Yeah. Another, and Alex, you know, Alex Lyon's been great. Carried the Panthers to the playoffs down the stretch last year. Like it's just, it's amazing how the goaltending position in a way, Jeff, and I know you're a baseball guy feels a lot like relief pitching the, like the really good closers. (laughs) They're good. They're really good for, for five or six years. They're great. And they go on a run and in baseball, the relievers, you know, you get the guy who has 40 saves one year and then the ERA is seven the year after. And that's what goaltending feels like a lot in the NHL. Not a lot of elite ones, but good ones for, you know, decent stretches. Uh, speaking of a goalie thing, um, Jacob Markstrom yeah. week to week with the fractured finger, uh, no surgery yep. required. Dustin Wolf called up. That's another one that, you know, I, I really thought that we were going to see a little bit different Jacob Markstrom this year. And hopefully, you know, it comes back and, and healthy and, and the flames play against the uh, red hot Minnesota wild tonight. So there's another one. Oh, on the you, docket you for can't, us. You, you can't beat Minnesota, right? The, the John Hines Minnesota is un, 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 unbeatable right now. Same personnel, nothing's changed other than now they've suddenly tried. Now they've figured out how to kill penalties. Now all of a sudden the goaltenders are stopping pucks. Yeah, interesting how Marco that works. Rossi snapping in two goals a game. It's like, oh, if you're Dean Evison, you're just like, really, really? Yeah. Where Brock Faber looks great. Like, really, really? Where? Uh, no Patrick Kane. We should mention tonight for the Detroit Red Wings. I would imagine that he'll play. I think it's Thursday. Yeah, Thursday against the San Jose Sharks. Although it would have been poetic for him to play against the Buffalo Sabres, his hometown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's not going to happen. But do you, do you want... Uh, they're not letting him go tonight. Would you want him to start on the road? Like, that's the other thing, too. Like, I know the game yeah. on Thursdays at home. There's always that, you know, hey, we'll start the guy out on the road. Let him get his feet wet. But maybe if it was anybody but Buffalo, he would have started out on the road. Hmm... Maybe I I don't I don't know I I think honestly I think that I don't think that Derek Lalone does anything frivolously mm-hmm. like the the one thing that I've that I've learned about uh, Derek Lalone is everything is done very deliberately very much with a plan I don't think that he leaves anything to chance and when he says we need X amount of practices before he gets into a game even though the storyline is there for Patrick Kane to start against the Buffalo Sabers doesn't matter he's not going to budge you know it's december 5th you know let's not let's not lose the plot here if you're the detroit red wings and things are going good for the red wings um so i i, I don't think that lalone does anything at all frivolously I, I think he's one of the smartest coaches in the nhl hands down um so that's one of eight on the board tonight it is the detroit red wings facing off against the buffalo sabers also you know the ottawa senators let me just finish up with this one the Ottawa Senators are last in the Atlantic. Okay, we know this has been a real struggle to kick off the season for the Ottawa Senators. The thing is, they've only played 19 games, Maddie. But mm-hmm. now they go on a stretch where they'll play 10 games in 19 days. Yikes. So now it's, okay, now you're starting to make your games up, but a lot of them are all bunched together. Enjoy that. So the, the, the Ottawa Senators, unlike any other team in the NHL, have been able to, you know, wade into the waters and not just dive in off the, uh, you know, the 15-meter board. Um, they've been able to wade into the waters here, but now that fun time is over and they already find themselves in last place. Like, it's not getting any easier, and tonight they face off against the... 
New York Rangers. Yeah, the kind of good New York Rangers. An absolute freight train. And even Johnny Brzezinski looks great playing up on that top line with Kreider and Savannah Jad. Like, everything is clicking for yeah. the Rangers right now, Maddie. Well, here and then when we talk about Ottawa on that schedule, here's who they play in those 10 games in 19 days. Uh, this, oh, no. is, this is the juggernaut schedule. Uh, the Rangers, the Leafs, oh, the Wings, the Canes, the Blues, the Stars, the Golden Knights, the Coyotes, the Avalanche, oh. the Penguins. Have fun. Poor DJ Smith. That is not... When when the people are calling for your job, that is not the schedule you want to see coming forward. That's the next 19 days for Ottawa, Maddie. Oh, that's a tough sled. (laughs) Oh, that's a tough one. Um, Really do have to give it up last night um, to Laurent Boissois, who uh, helped the Winnipeg Jets win that game yesterday against the Carolina Hurricanes. There were... 50, the shots on goal in the third period alone, 15-3 to Carolina. Brassois was outstanding, made 42 saves all around. Um, Kyle Connor scores. The Nick Ehlers goal. Like, Ooh. go out of your like, Go to NHL.com yeah. right now. Go yep. to NHL.com right now and go to the 2-1 to goal. Like, go to the second Winnipeg Jets goal just to watch that play, which is an absolute thing of beauty. And Ehlers... Looks great up on that top line. Like, I know I like Perfetti and Nemestikov with him, but up on that top line with Shifley, Ehlers looks tremendous, uh, Maddie. But congratulations to the Winnipeg Jets. And as I mentioned a second ago, could be fun to see Winnipeg Jets version 1.0 versus Winnipeg Jets version 2.0, the Arizona Coyotes and the Winnipeg Jets competing for that third playoff spot in the Central Division. All right, uh, speaking of Arizona, we're going to take a pause. Andre Tourney drops by in a couple of moments. Head coach... Of the team that just wiped out the last five Stanley Cup champions, how did they do it? Tournier answers in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Merrick Show continues. Keep it here. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Well, it is the headline story from last night, and it is the headline story today. The Arizona Coyotes, who have now knocked off the last five Stanley Cup champions, Vegas, Colorado, Tampa, St. Louis, and last night, the command performance, 6 nothing, a blanking of the Washington Capitals. Uh, the architect behind the bench, the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, is Andre Tournier, and he joins me now. Andre, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? Very good. What about you, Jeff? Thanks for having me. Uh, the, ple- the pleasure is all mine. Uh, we wanted to get you on for, for a long time here. You're, I mean, you're, you're considered... I mean, you're, first of all, you're considered quite brilliant, and you're considered very detail-oriented. And before I talk to you about forwards and defense and this, uh, this streak running through these five Stanley Cup champions uh, of recent note, I want to ask you about Connor Ingram, and I want to ask you about goaltenders in general. Now, I'm told, and I, I think this was, was true in, in Colorado when you were with Patrick Waugh, and I would suspect it's probably true in Arizona right now, um, is it true that you structure your things like your penalty kill around who's playing net, whether it's Connor Ingram or Karel Vimelka? I know how detail-oriented you are and how you always want to put players in positions to succeed. Does it go as far as playing differently depending on who's in net? It's it's some detail of, uh, change, yes. It, it, I, I took that from Patty, obviously. I coached with Patrick Arroy and I had the opportunity when I was in Colorado to have Farley uh, 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 and uh, Jean-Sébastien Giguerre. Yep. Both of them were different, yep. you know. Varley uh, is really fast side to side. Giguerre is uh, more kind of a blocking side. So uh, we had constant communication with those guys and we were making adjustments on our PK. For example, Varley did not mind the one-timer from the top, which... Uh, Jiggy didn't want to keep the play on one side, and Varley was more about making sure that there's no stick around the net, tip, goal, and that kind of a stuff, where Jiggy for him was more the east-west play. So uh, I took that from Patty, and Patty was really good at, when he was teaching his system, 
you know, you talk a lot. Example, you, that's what you want from your wingers. That's what you want from your center. That's what you want from your D. But rarely the coach will talk about that's what you want from your goalie. And Patty was always doing that, you know. That's what we expect in the D zone situation and that situation. We expect this from the strong side D, the weak side D, and that's what belonged to you, goalie, whatever. It's Varley or it was Jiggy. And he always include that. And, and I took that from him. And now we, we try to include our goalie. And when we went in, uh, went in Ottawa after with the Senators, and Craig Anderson's a different goalie than what we had. It's, he really uh, read the play really well. It was uh, East-West play was really fast, but I uh, did not like the the, the 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 play close to the net from behind the net, those kind of things. So uh, I think it's important you can make some adjustments, some tweak, and making sure all your mm-hmm. players know what's the strength of your goalie, so they can they can know how to react at certain situations. You see, uh, see, I find that so fascinating. There, there are so many coaches. I mean, obviously, you have uh, a deep and rich understanding of the net mining position. I know there are some coaches that you know tend to sort of leave goaltenders alone or just leave them to the to the goalie coach. I mean, how much do you like? I remember in Toronto when Ed Belfour was the goalie, he would sit in on the on the penalty kill sessions, and he would always tell the penalty killers, "Okay, I need to know that this one player is not yeah. going to take a shot. If I know that you're going to eliminate this one player, that I don't have to worry about this one." player who's got the big shot i can handle everybody else but just make sure yep. that this one player doesn't do like that's what belfour went into every penalty kill meeting saying like what types of communication do you have with with ingram with vermelka about how they want the, the the penalty kill handle like do you have conversations with them specifically about it yeah we do but you know it's, it's an interesting point jeff and i think you're, you're bang on it depends about the personality of your goalie as well a guy like Veg Melka, Veg is just kind of whatever. You tell me, coach. You tell me what's coming, <laughs> what's mine, what's, you know, whatever. He, he's ready for everything. Hingy was is a guy with a really good hockey sense. He wants to have an understanding. Yeah, you could see example two games ago when we, uh, St. Louis pulled their goalie. Uh, Hingy came to the bench right away and he asked us, hey, who's one-timer? Who's, who's taking the shot on the six-on-five for them? And, he, he didn't want to know. He didn't want to have a read and who's, who will be on the backside. And he, he wanted that information. And he was part of what we're trying to do at, in the 6-on-5 and what was our plan. I think you talk about Belfort. Belfort was that kind of a guy. Jean-Sébastien Chiguerre was that kind of a guy. Okay, well, they example, you study the, the power play on the other side and say, okay, that's those example, those three, three main point of attack for whatever Washington, for example, you are saying, okay, what's what's our plan? We're saying, okay, that's how we play. We should eliminate that one. So those two will be the two remaining. So Jiggy knew, okay, perfect. That, that's what's coming. Mm-hmm. So you like that that way. So I think it's just, yeah, I took that, like I said, from Patty, uh, from Patrick Roy. And from there, I, I think it makes so much sense because you do it anyway as a coach. You, uh, you Like I said, you talk about the role of everybody. Why not talk about what's coming from the goalie and what's expected for, from the goalie. Uh, with Andre Turnier, head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, who have now knocked off the last five Stanley Cup champions in the NHL. Okay, Andre, it's, uh, it's Vegas, it's Tampa, it's Colorado, it's St. Louis. Last night, it's Washington. So we haven't seen this before uh, in the NHL, knocking off uh, the, the last five Stanley Cup champions. Was there a like? Was there one thing that was constant in all of those games, or is every game unique? Like we're not going to play Vegas the same way we play St. Louis. It's the way we play Tampa is not going to be the way we play Colorado or Washington last night. Was there one common thread though in how you were able to to defeat all five? That's. Uh... I think it's it's a really good uh, really good point because I think we we had goaltending in the five games. That is a that's a, probably the the most common thing in terms of the way we played them. I think they're all different. Like you know now with the advent stats and all the pre scout and everything, everybody know what's what's the strength of every team, and you try to take their strength away. But you need to stay in your identity and your style of play. You cannot redo your system game to game. So it's always the same structure, same system, but you try to pay attention at certain things. Maybe at time make some adjustment. So we make adjustment game to game like our opponent do because I know because I pre-scout example Washington, their last game against Vegas, and they arrive against us, and they make a few tweaks. There's a few things 
they tried to exploit and try to do differently. So, so that's just the game of the NHL in, in our day. But for us, you know, we talk a lot, okay, we won the last five, and it's, it's a big story. Well, we lost the three prior to that. And, you know, it was a really, really tight game against Vegas. Same thing, Colorado, same thing. Tampa Bay and, and St. Louis only last night was not as, as tight, but we, we, that could have gone the other way around as well. So I think we, uh, we stay really on ball and we stay diligent. I think our urgency in that search, I think the fact we lost the three game prior and our level of urgency at that point was extremely high. We knew we were going in a really, really tough stretch with those five opponents in a row and we uh, we played really solid hockey defensively, and I think that's a big big thing for us. I think before that stretch, we were a little bit loose uh, defensively. Uh, we didn't give ourselves a chance. We had to, to score too many goals, and we didn't have the puck enough. At the end of the day, when you don't play good defense, you don't have the puck. So uh, that was a big uh, big topic in our locker room. How, how much, I mean, if, if at all, did you talk to your players about last night and what it could mean knocking off five Stanley Cup champions. I'm sure the, the players already knew. Did they talk about it? I mean, it seemed like, you know, it's the game that I'm most looking forward to watching last night. And right away, Cooley scores, Carcone scores, Schmaltz has a pair. It's like, I, it almost, you know, you would get the feeling that they knew that they were about to do something special and they wanted to get at it right away. How much of a conversation was it yesterday? Hey, we could knock off five here if we beat Washington. No, we honestly, I would disappoint you because we didn't talk about it at all. We uh, we uh, we talk about Washington. We talk about uh, they. I think they play a stingy type of hockey this year, and they're very very heavy on puck. They're 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 on every loose puck. They're they're heavy and they they battle. So we talk about what we had to do. I think the result will take care of itself. If you talk about the result. You, you you don't know where you're going. You know it's uh, you need to have the, the the right destination in your GPS so you can know where you're going. We know we want to win, but how <laughs> we will get there? That's what's important. So we that was the main focus. And you know we uh, our situation in the in the last I will say this year in the last two we've been in a situation where uh, we we had tough stretch and we know how painful is that so we value victory we value good stretch like we are we are in right now and uh, we, we we have the urgency to keep the ball rolling because we know it, it will not be always sunshine and rainbow we will have our difficulty at some point during the season and we will need to manage that in the right way and not focusing too much on the result you know need to stay on ball, stay grounded and just focusing on what we have to do because it's a long season uh, I wish I wish it would be a 24-game season. That means it will be in the, in the dance, <laughs> but it, it's not the way it is. It's 82, so we need to keep grinding. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you a teaching question. I mean, you're such a, a great teacher of the game. And, you know, one of the things, like, man, like when you coached the Ottawa 67s, like you had a, a juggernaut team. Unfortunately, you know, the, 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 the COVID scotched the playoffs and you weren't able to, to take that thing all the way to the Memorial Cup because you, you really had a great team. But one of the things that I think a lot of people were impressed by is, you know, it, there's a, a way to teach players and then there's what you taught players. And there were things like, you know, what do you do with a de- defenseman who's going stick on puck? And you were teaching these kids, you know, chopping the hands, you know, like initiating yeah. contact, um, you know, go, going in, going into players, you know, and it was, it was, it was, and yeah, you had the team to do it, albeit I understand that, but yeah. still like, it was remarkable the things that I was hearing and the things that I was seeing. And this is junior hockey kids. They're still learning and they're yeah. still teaching. And you're still teaching. How much teaching do you do at the NHL level and how is it different? Uh, it's, it's, first of all, thanks to opening the, 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 the old injury and the old wound the, of the, the 67. <laughs> that was a great season, a great team. <laughs> Unfortunately, we could not finish the job, but uh, no, seriously, that was, uh, I had the time of my life with the 67. So, but to, to answer your question, uh, it's, it's the same thing. You just uh, diminish the percentage. You know what I mean? In junior, you do maybe 70% of your teaching on the fundamentals on how to create your space and cutting the ends and chipping the body and, and initiate the contact and everything you talk about, you're, you you have good source, you have good contact because all that <laughs> our language and our stuff we use a lot. And we, we do the same here. 
but we do a lot on video. You know, we don't. NHL is different. They're, they're professional for a reason. I say that sometimes to friends who ask me about how come you're not practicing a lot. I say, okay. Example, you, Jeff. How many times you you practice your your job? You don't practice, right? You uh, just well, I, do it. I I talk I, I talk every I talk every day, but not sort of like when when the microphone's off. I yeah. just talk like a normal human being. But your point is well made. Exactly. Yeah. You don't. You'll arrive at home and get the mic in front of you and practice your practice your interview. <laughs> you, you you just you're a professional no. now. You 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 do that for a living for years. So now you're a professional. But when you were at school, when you were learning your 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 yeah. your, your, your your job, then you were practicing. You you had uh, you were reading book doing all of those stuff. You still try to get better at your job, but you're not really practicing every day and. Going. It's the same thing for an NHL player. Are we practicing that much cutting hands, one-on-one battles, uh, tracking, stuff like that? No, not that much. We review it on video. We look at it. We, we, we study it. And then those guys are professional. They can do it. Now they, they have in their mind, they, they can go on the ice and doing it. So I think going on the ice for us, is, it's, uh, it's just making sure we keep our execution up, we do some reminder on fundamentals, but cannot, it's not a 10-minute drill on battles and cutting hands and creating space and chipping the body or initiate contact. It, it will be a two, three, four-minute drill where everybody go twice, mm-hmm. get some reps, and okay, well, I'm good. Uh, I, I, it's, it's coming back, so I, I don't have to practice it as long. I think those guys are professional. It's a little bit different. I think a lot of stick work is through video way more than... Uh, on the ice, but one thing right. we kept from uh, our time in junior in, in Ottawa is we have a full-time skill coach who on the ice with our player. Uh, on it's not mandatory; it's it's optional for the player. But if they want some reminder on on those fundamentals and other skills, there we have a full-time mm-hmm. skill coach. There he's on the ice uh, 20 minutes before every practice. So guys go on the ice. There's four station. They can the station or post before practice, so they know what they can work at. And if if the judge is a good fit for them, they're on the ice reviewing those things. So I think that that helped because Bill Armstrong said that when when uh, we we started to work together and said that the skill level of an NHL player during the season decrease a little bit. I'm not saying decrease of 25 percent, but decrease a little bit because they work so much on their skill during the summer. Uh, when they arrive during the season for the reason that the, the schedule is really, really demanding. So we don't practice as much. So the number of touch you have in the game, it's not enough to maintain your skill level. You need to work outside of your game on your skill. But if you don't put time to work on your skill to maintain your skill level, if it's just through practice, we don't practice enough. That's why we have that skill program and Kyle Bocek. Uh, he's, he's, he's really good at it with us, and he helped us to uh, try to maintain our skill level as high as possible during the season. This is fantastic. Um, we only have about 30 seconds left, but do you have an update on Sean Dursey? Uh, tough hit last night, gets caught by Tom Wilson. Yeah. Is there any update yeah. today? No, he's, he's here right now. We're at the practice facility, but he's our therapist, but I have no update. I don't know what's, what's, the, okay. what's the timeline. No. Hope that uh, hope things are okay for Jersey. He's been exceptional for the Coyotes. Yeah. Uh, listen, Andre, I Absolutely. wish we had more time. I could do this every day, all day with you. Uh, really informative. Listen, congratulations. Uh, you did something really unique uh, in the history of hockey, and I know I know you a little bit, so I know that you're like, okay, that was yesterday. Now we focus on the next game. But I yeah. hope you get a chance to, to cherish what you and your team have just done. Congratulations, and we'll uh, we'll catch up down the road. Thanks so much for this. Thank you, Jeff. Have a good one. Thanks for having me, Andre. Andre Turney is the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, who have now like, when, knocked off the last five Stanley Cup champions. Like, I would imagine, you know, you're, you're Bill Armstrong, and you get the schedule, and you look at it, and you say, oh, man, look at late November. Like, you want to talk about putting a murderer's row in front of us here. We got Vegas. We got Tampa. We got Colorado. We got St. Louis. We got the Washington Capitals. Let us come up for a breath here. You just heard from Andre Tourney, and he is one of the smartest coaches that I think you'll ever hear. Like, I'm serious. I would love to talk to that guy on this show or any other show every single day. Tourney's Corner. 
um, really smart skills coach, really smart. Like there are very few coaches, and that's why I opened up with the goaltending question with Andre. There are very few coaches that I believe take as much an interest in their goaltenders as Tornier does. Now, we've talked about this before, how there is no other position that is more intimately linked with the future of the head coach than the goaltender. I mean, you look at what just happened with Dean Evason, or you look what just happened with Jay Woodcroft. Um, When you get bad goaltending, usually it's the coach that pays the price, not the goaltenders. Tourney is someone that clearly, and you can hear listening to him talk, understands the goaltending position, understands that if you maximize the value of your goaltender and put that goaltender in positions to succeed, it will do well for you. Uh, Tourney is just one of the smartest guys around. Thanks for the uh, to the Arizona Coyotes for making him available after that historic night last night. Uh, so thanks to Andre Tournier for stopping by. Uh, thanks to Daryl Evans, color voice for the Los Angeles Kings. Man, they're good. And Elliot Friedman checked in from the Board of Governors in Seattle. Thanks to David Sis, Lance Kennedy, James Wilson, and our supervising producer, Matt Marchese, for making the show sound good. Mistakes courtesy of me. Thank you very much. Back tomorrow, more of the Merrick Show. Enjoy your day.